Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Kizzy Parks. Kizzy, welcome to the show. Well, welcome. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. This is this is a topic that we've only covered maybe once or twice on the show. And that's that we're going to talk about how service-based businesses, the owners of service-based businesses can find and land and get into the whole world of government contracts, federal government contracts. Kizzy is an expert on that. That's what she's done in her own business, as well as what she does now is help people do the same. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, you can either text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700 or visit thehowabusiness.com. So Kizzy Parks is the founder of K Parks Consulting, KPC, and she recently launched GovCon Winners. We'll talk about what she offers through GovCon Winners, which is to help service-based small business owners learn how to win profitable government contracts. Kizzy and her services business KPC have been awarded over 50 million in federal government contracts. KPC serves the United States federal government by providing contract staffing services, professional and IT services, professional and management development training, and curriculum development. They've worked successfully to support the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Defense Information Systems Agency, the United States Department of Agriculture, the United States Office of Personnel Management, the Food and Drug Administration, and the National Guard, among many other agencies. Kizzy lives in Miami Beach, Florida, down the coast from where I am now in Florida. And so once again, Kizzy Parks, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, it's such a pleasure, Henry, to be here with you and all the amazing listeners. Well, great. And I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of great information but we'll start with the journey, which is always of interest to me. And so I'm hoping you can briefly just give me the quick story about your career after college. Yeah. So I immediately went from undergrad to grad school. And in my last month of graduate school, I was a um, finishing up a research fellowship at Patrick, now Space Force. And I was in the research department and analyzing data and working on other efforts. And the director of research came up to me. And up until that point, I really hadn't had like no interactions with him. (laughs) And he came up to me and he said, you know, I heard you're graduating. Would you like to stay on as a contractor? Hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. I saw contractors. I just didn't have any idea, you know, what that meant or what they were exactly their arrangement. And I said, okay. And at that point in time, um, I had been a kind of a solo paneur. And so that following May, I incorporated and formed K Parks Consulting. So right before I graduated, I had um, an almost six figure subcontract immediately out the gate. Amazing. What services were you offering? Were you delivering for them? At that time, a lot of it was around analytics, analyzing their climate survey, creating new climate survey items, working on research, assisting with curriculum development, 
um, thought leadership. It was anything and everything around initiatives concerning equity, inclusion, um, and the Department of Defense. So it could be, hey, attend this conference, or could you, you know, provide information on, um, you know, women in uniform? Could you help us with uh, with um, overturning "Don't Ask, Don't Tell"? So there was a lot of different <laughs> kind of things I was involved in at the time. And what did you major in? I majored in industrial organizational psychology. So yeah, so my PhD and master's are both in that field. So it, during university, though, did you think you were going to start your own business or did you think you'd go apply that at a corporation? What, what were your thoughts? So in graduate school, initially, I thought, initially, initially, I thought I was going to be an external consultant because it seems so glamorous that mm-hmm. you travel around, I would work for you know, a well-known consulting firm and be paid well so I could repay all my student loans. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I came across someone who really enlightened me and she talked about just how hard it was, how you didn't really have a life. And I thought, wow, you know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really wanna be on the road 90% of the time. So then I started to pivot and thought, Perhaps I'll continue teaching online because at that point to supplement my income, I was teaching online um, as I was finishing grad school. I thought, let me balance that and maybe consult on the side or work for a university full time as an online instructor. And the more I learned about that, I had someone kind of mentor me at that point in time. I decided, you know, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, well, maybe I want to be a college professor. And then I learned it more about the politics and the um, Mm -hmm. income. And so at the end of the day, I ended up applying for a few jobs that those in my field typically apply for. And I started to pray to not get one of them. And then the other one, I turned down the offer. And, you know, this amazing life-changing opportunity came from Patrick. So I never thought, never imagined that I would have started the entrepreneurial like launch (laughs) directly out of graduate school. I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur since I was a little girl, but I thought I would work 10, 15 years, you know, later in my life, I would end up on this journey. And it it started before I was 30. Why did you think you, you were going to need or want that I'll call it a corporate career for lack of a better term, but working for somebody else for a period of time. Why did you think that would have had to happen first? That's a great question. I thought that was what you had to do because it sounds so, it sounds so weird, like saying it now and thinking about the entrepreneurs in the world. But at that point in time, those who I looked at or I idolized, or especially those in my field who were entrepreneurs, it seemed that many of them, they worked for someone, or it, it was very typical that a person in IO psychology would perform IO psychology things, supplement with a consulting gig or solopreneur opportunities, and then maybe go out on your own. After you had a reputation or you're established or. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was the the path. I had no sure. yeah, no idea. And was it was it 
was was entrepreneurship uh, modeled for you and your family or anywhere else? It doesn't sound like it was, but tell me about that. Well, it was it was something that I always knew when I was younger that I was going to do. I always why knew. why why did you always have that aspiration? You know, it was that think? feeling. I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just I always knew I was going to earn a PhD, and I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. And ever what was it that you were thinking when you were younger that being an entrepreneur would give you freedom? And the same thing with the degree. Both provide freedom, and that you can you know do anything you desire with a PhD. And the same thing as an entrepreneur. You know, many of those in Forbes and many of those who have wealth, it comes from being an entrepreneur and or holding real estate. So at the time when I was younger, I, I knew, I just sensed that led to freedom. So it's just, it's just always been there. And I always sold things as a kid. I hustled mm-hmm. golf balls. I would sell things to my brothers. I was always looking at ways to improve things, to turn a profit. I would read the money section when it was US t- USA Today. And I was like, you know, always under the age of 15 doing these things. So it was just wow. always there. Um, and you know, kind of connecting the dots. My birth grandfather was an entrepreneur, but I didn't know that. Interesting. Because I was raised by my adoptive family. So he had started a golf course with his brothers in the Nunica, Michigan area. And my mom told me he always had these (laughs) crazy business ideas. She was like, you're just like him. He wanted to sell wine (laughs) and a popcorn card and and then they so did you know about that when you were selling golf? Uh, no, used golf I had no idea. Like I didn't even know who my birth mother was at the time. That's amazing. Yeah, no idea. So, so it kind of happened for you. This contract opportunity presents itself and bam, you are, you're a business owner without even having started your career. And then is that part, part of what influences you to have this focus on government contracts or did that come later? it came just out of that opportunity. Yeah. It, it definitely came out of that. Because that started to open your, your eyes to this world of government contracts. Correct. Opened my eyes and I had, I just had no idea, no idea of not only of the opportunities, but the variety of options and contracts and what it all entailed. I mean, it, it was like earning another degree, just starting out going on. I can imagine. Yeah. All right. So then how long did that, did you do that contract work before you launched? I know you launched in 2007 K park consultants. We'll refer to it as KPC here in this conversation. How long before you then launched KPC or did you do this contract under the name of KPC? I, I did. I did the contract under KPC. So we got it. Yeah. So that was your first engagement. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then where did it evolve from there? It, it became so that then there was more service components to it. Tell me about what it evolved to next. Like what was your next engagement after that? Well, I learned from a mentor in Orlando, Kevin, he talked to, and, and Sergeant Johnson, both of them, had talked about the importance of having full-time equivalents or what we refer to as butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. And they said, you need to have contracts that are multiple years where you're paid mm-hmm. for people and you need to have service-based contracts. And that's going to help you grow and get you where you need to be financially. And I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and so um, what I did know 
was that I needed to pivot from the space of diversity and inclusion that I was in at the time. I just knew in order to grow and to, to expand, I had to do that. So in 2000, um, yeah, it was 2013 is when we received our first $4 million contract providing training, IT, other services, and they were all full-time equivalents, uh, five-year contract. Wow. All right. I'm going to break that down in a minute because that's interesting. But I'm going back to this guidance from the mentor on this focus on service-based contracts. Just tell me at a high level, why is that? Why is that? Why is there such an opportunity in that arena? Because the government, they need support. They need people to supplement government employees. And you save money by bringing in contractors opposed to hiring someone to fill a government position. You have to pay them out pension, pay all of their insurance. So it's less expensive to rely on a Lockheed Martin, a Booz Allen, you know, any of the big companies, a small companies to provide people. So for instance, firefighters in some locations, firefighters are contractors. There's a company that has a firefighter contract through FEMA, and that's their way of of filling firefighter positions up in that particular community. So it provides a need, it saves money, and it provides awesome, um, you know, business opportunities for business owners. Right. Because as an entrepreneur, I'm providing a service. I'm not manufacturing something. I'm not having to inventory anything. So I'm providing, like I said, bodies, butts in a seat. So bodies of people that have to be skilled. So there's, it's not trivial, but nonetheless, it's a lot more, um, there's a lot more margin in doing that from a business perspective. And then of course, we'll, we'll dive into it time permitting, but there's also opportunities because for some of these contracts, the government wants to place them with minority or small businesses, correct? Correct. There are set asides, yeah. and that's how I was able to land the $4 million contract. But that is correct. There's yeah. definitely those opportunities. Okay. We'll come back to that. Thank you for sharing that. Let me, as we wrap up kind of on your journey, you, you touched on it already, but tell me more about what being your own boss does for you today. What is it that it provides you? It truly provides so much freedom, gratitude, appreciation, happiness. It's, you know, it's just, it's so amazing because I can, I create the day that I want every day. And most importantly, I have an amazing team of people who are helping, you know, the federal government making lives easier and that their lives have changed. So I love that. I've, I've always been about helping and giving. And so being my own boss provides that every single day, just knowing that there are people, there's over 50 people who <laughs> believe in me <laughs> and these seeds I planted. Uh, and it just brings me so much joy. And just to have this kind of life where I just have a very flexible schedule. Yeah, love that. That's that's a big deal for for most of us as entrepreneurs. If if someone who's in college now, like you were, asks you or tells you, "Well, I got to I got to go do the work for someone else for ten years, get that experience, and then I'm I, my dream is to start a business." What advice do you lend to that person now? I would say, you know, but why? 
Why do you need to do that? And why do you need to go work for anyone? You can travel, you can become an influencer, you can just resell things on eBay. I mean, there's way, there's so many more opportunities out there opposed to just simply getting a degree, getting a job, and then potentially becoming a solopreneur, an entrepreneur. Now, if someone says, I want to work, learn the trade, and in a couple of years or maybe in a year, go off on my own, I can understand that because they're wanting to put in their 10,000 hours, but there's no need. There's no need whatsoever to do that. Yeah, no, I agree. That's very well, very well said. I, you know, the way I look at it is you invest all this time in getting that education and positioning yourself, then, then take advantage of all of the doors that that opens up for you and, and don't limit yourself. Correct. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into it some more then. So give me, if you would, please, I'd like to start with some more examples of the types of contracts beyond that first contract where you were providing, I think you said IT services. Tell me, give me some examples of the other types of contracts that you've secured through KPC. Uh, well, we provide religious staffing. So, so explain that to me. Air Force, Army, Bureaus of Prison, Navy a little bit, and a couple other agencies have, um, re- have a need for religious positions to either supplement mm-hmm an existing chapel or because of the nature of their mission, there may be a requirement to have some type of religious coordinator, a priest. And that might be like, there might be the need for that at a base somewhere, for example. Correct, at a base or in a prison. Got it. And so we staff a, we have a Catholic parish team member in Hawaii. Uh, We had a Catholic youth coordinator um, at Patrick, now Space Force. And so that's a a very wide open area because it's in essence, you're just staffing people who meet the requirement, but it just happens to fall under the umbrella of religion. Right. And it, but it's not, it's like, no, it's like any other staffing situation there. Are they employees of yours or contractors of yours? They're employees Employees of yours. So they WW2 with them and then you subcontract that service to the government, you you have a markup of some sort on that wage, and that's essentially the business model? Correct. We have a, a prime contract with the federal government. We mark up the team member as an employee, and typically these contracts range from three years to five. Okay, so that's a great example. Is there another example that's yeah. that's unique or different like that that helps people think through, okay, there's all of these, because I know there's this wide range of services. You've touched on IT, you've touched on this, something that I would have never thought of, religious services. What are some of the other common things that you've either contracted or you help others do so? Mm-hmm. We have a contract um, through one of my other businesses, Ampar Services, with the FDA. And for the FDA, we inspect all vape tobacco shops in the United Hmm. States. So there's coordinators that coordinate where the inspectors need to go to um, conduct the inspection on an electronic device. And then that information is submitted to the FDA. So you staff the inspector, the actual inspector that comes on site to perform that inspection. And the coordinators and the program or the project manager, correct. 
I see. So does that, that means I have to imagine that in order to have won that contract, you have to show, you have to have shown some level of competence in this area or how does that work? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, in the government space, they have what's, what's called evaluation criteria and it, it varies. It varies. Um, RFP request for proposal by request for proposal. For this particular effort, the we partnered, our mentor had past performance in this area. So they knew, and then I we see. added an additional element. But since we've had the contract, we have really significantly revamped, uh, made things more efficient and just been a huge value add to them. So Kizzy beat, before you landed that contract, though, you or your company didn't have any expertise doing these types of inspections, right? Correct. We had but no, ahead, yeah, none whatsoever. I, I didn't even know what to say. Yeah, but you leveraged, you had a mentor who I'm assuming was part of the proposal as to where you were going to get some knowledge and leadership because he did have some experience. Did I get that part right? Correct. The okay. my, my mentor... Uh, she had the contract previously, oh, I pilot, see. and then they decided to roll it out permanently. And then we won the contract uh, and just have been rolling with it since because they conduct, I mean, well over 3000 inspections a year. Wow. Why? Uh, so when, when did you get awarded this contract? When was, when are we talking about? It was 2018. Why did you win it? Do you think looking back at it, why did you get awarded that contract? Uh, well, I mean, we met their evaluation criteria. I would say it was due to past performance and um, management plan um, pricing. It was just a, in the government space, they have a variety of criteria that they use to determine who will win an award. And we just met all of those that were out there. So you did a you did a, a good job with putting together your proposal, right? Mm -hmm. And it included, if I've got this right, a key component was including this uh, consultant, mentor, whatever role they were going to play that had experience. You leveraged that to make up for the fact that you didn't have any experience at KPC. Is that am I getting that right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. So what's, what's brilliant about that is that, that the thing that I hear often, Kizzy, as I'm sure you do all the time, is, well, I have, I have no experience doing that. So why would the government hire or take you know, my proposal when I've never done it? But what do you say to that? I would say it's time to work on your sales skills. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, here's another example for Federal Railroad. So under Department of Transportation, there's an agency that handles railroads. They needed a vendor to update a 500 plus page PDF on railroad crossing rules and regulations. Hmm. Do we have any experience doing that? Never. None. However, I have a team of those with advanced degrees. I have access to databases that have law information. Um, we have a visiting scientist from Brown University on our team. So and we have processes and procedures and techniques that we follow to be able to update something like that. So they awarded us a six figure contract where my profit was just way over 50% because wow. I was able to sell the different stakeholders 
and put together an amazing, you know, process, um, project plan that really emphasized how, how we were going to do it. And we literally just delivered it the other day and they were so excited. We didn't even need, we didn't even need to leverage um, uh, SMEs in, in the effort because they were able to provide uh, SMEs after all, which was amazing. Is that too. right? Interesting. A couple of questions on that one. Then that process of proposing your services, that is that done in the, at any part in person or is it all through submission of a proposal electronically? Sometimes it's both or maybe in person, often 95% of the time it's electronic. So yeah, this had happened in the heart of basically the shutdown. And I communicated with them through phone. And then um, they sent what's called a statement of work to conduct market research. And then I responded to it and outlined what we would do for them. And they made the award a little over a year ago and we delivered and the, the company who actually completed the previous version of the handbook is a very, very well-known government contractor. Interesting. The reason you, you saw that posting and the reason you went after it is I've, you said, I've got the resources. I can do this. I've got expertise on my team to deliver a quality product. In this case, that updated PDF, that updated manual. And that's why you decided to go after that one. Yes. I had, I would have been in contact with their small business rep and I conducted what's called a um, capability brief where you basically talk about what you do, what you can do, what you're interested in doing and how you can help the agency. So maybe a week following, he called and he said, you know, for some reason you came to mind because of your PhD and the research you've been involved in. Do you think you could update a handbook? on railroad rules and regulations, railroad crossing. And I said, of course, he's like, do you have access to LexisNexis? And I said, yes, we have access to that database and ProQuest and any other one you want. And he's like, okay, great. And so he asked for more information and it went from there. Okay. So he brought it to you because of a relationship that you have built and have been nurturing over time with him and and that group. So that that's part of this for you to be successful longer term. Is that fair? It's very fair because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I, and that's where some of that sales, that sales ability has to come in yeah. because one thing is to prepare a great looking professional uh, proposal, but it's those conversations and those relationships you develop with those representatives that seem to be critical to this process. You are spot on because there are smaller acquisitions that are out there that you would never hear about. I see. And so, excuse me, if someone goes to the typical sam.gov or they go to another website, they would never come across this, the railroad opportunity and vice versa. There are many opportunities that other win, others win that I would never come across because the deals were conducted through the phone, via email, because they're simplified acquisitions so they can go direct to that particular vendor. Excellent. 
All right. The, uh, we've been touching on the advantages of why, why somebody, especially in the service-based arena, should look into, learn how to explore government contracts. One of those key things I got to think is the, the fact that it's a contract. In this case, that was a one-off, but usually it's a contract for a period of time. So now you, you've got you know, a guaranteed, if you will, revenue for a period of time. That's one of the big advantages, correct? Correct. It's, it's the biggest advantage where okay. you, there's some contracts, they're rare, but some are good for 10 years. Uh, most of our contracts are between three and five years in duration. What are some of the other, from your perspective, advantages to pursuing government contracts? The government always pays. They always pay. You're typically paid in 30 days. If you're paid after 30 days, you will receive interest. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have thought you would say well, they pay, but they paid late, but that's not been your experience. Now, we've had moments. However, we have a fantastic accounts receivable kind of ways, what we call our processes and procedures, KPC ways. We have um, amazing procedures in place. So we make certain that we receive our receivables um, within the 30 day period. I see. It's just like in any other business receivables, you have to manage it, but you've, you teach people a, the way to do it the way the government wants it so that there are no unnecessary delays to get paid. Is that fair? Is super fair because so many people assume, well, I created the invoice, I submitted right. the system, where's my money? And it doesn't work like that. I see. Not at all. On the flip side, what are some of the challenges that, that you have to overcome or be ready to face with government contracts? I think what you have to be prepared for <laughs> is inconsistency. And that I, I think people assume it's, you know, the, the statement of work is on a piece of paper. I got this contract. So they're just, you know, like they should be so grateful I'm here for them <laughs> and everything's just going to work accordingly. And, you know, I know this because I'm so familiar with the army. No, it doesn't work like that at all. And you have to, you have to make the decision. Do you want to be an entrepreneur or do you want to be a solopreneur? Do you want to just maybe kind of dabble in government space? If the answer is that you want to be an entrepreneur and have longevity and you have to flex to their needs and desires, all of them are different. One agency, they love our Zoom account. Great. Use our Zoom account. I'm not going to charge them for it. I'm not going to complain about it. It makes their life easier. So they know, wow, KPC is great. They allow, they have allowed us multiple times to use their Zoom account that they spend $300 a month for, <laughs> you know? So it's things like that, but people in the space, yeah. they don't see it as such. They get annoyed or they want to file a complaint or they want to have a contract mod. And your, your goal is to make their life easier. And to be, so that flexibility, and that's such a key point, Kizzy, I want to just explore for a moment because I've talked about this often on the show. Like you said, if you're an entrepreneur, I don't care what business it is, whether it's government contracts or not, we're thrown curveballs every day. And it's how we respond, how flexible we're willing to be. Sometimes we have to pivot altogether. You know, COVID certainly taught us that. So that comes with the territory. If you're going into it, what you're saying, thinking everything is spelled out in this contract and nothing shall change for the next five years. That's not realistic is what I'm hearing. It's 
realistic at all. And often what is written isn't even what they may need. And so again, people struggle with that. Because it evolves like in any other situation, just like in any other business, what they thought they needed might might evolve or change six months later, right? Right. Or maybe what is written in the piece of paper, they just cut and paste it from another <laughs> RFP. Because they really have no idea they need your help on figuring out what they need. And that's where a gifted contractor comes in. A gifted contractor is looked at as a value add. A, a, a contractor that's just fulfilling a commodity, then they're looked at upon as that. It doesn't matter who holds the contract because these 20 people have always been with us at Department of Justice. So we're not going to value the contractor because you're what value are you adding for us or to us? Yeah. What are some other common mistakes you see people make either in pursuing contracts? Well, let's start with that in, oh. in, in landing their first contracts. What are, what are some of the other common mistakes? Oh, goodness. First and foremost, not following the instructions. I just came across this with someone I spoke with recently. And here's the thing about government. You have to put yourself in, in the mindset of if you ever went to graduate school, it's a lot like graduate school or in the mindset of school, whether you know you went to high school or you didn't even graduate from high school, but just go back to that last time you took some kind of a course. That's how government RFPs work. They will say you must submit it must be no more than 25 pages, one inch by one inch by one inch by one inch, you know, page margins, this font, this font size, here are the evaluation criteria. Here's what I'm looking for. And what happens, people think, well, you know, I've done this for private sector. I've provided service for the state of Maryland. I'll just write the proposal. However, yeah. Good luck. You're not going to win. So you have to. Because you're not even going to get to the table, right? You're not even going to get to be considered in a lot of cases. They're going to throw right? it out. Literally, they don't They're even review it, it. You right. must follow the instruction. And if you don't know, then you have to ask. If you don't even know, you know, what does that mean? I follow the instruction. I just follow the, the page margins. Yes. But then there are also other instructions in there that maybe people don't realize are instructions. So how to format a proposal is vital. A proposal could potentially, you know, make or break the decision, but you at least need to follow the instruction because if you can't follow the instruction in the proposal, they are not going to want to work with you. Yeah. How long does the whole process take? Is there a typical, is it, does it, does it vary widely? How, how long does it usually take? For writing a proposal, winning, yeah, the whole process, you know, I identified an opportunity and I land the contract. What are we looking at there typically? It, it varies. So for example, there, there was, there's an, um, there was an opportunity for hotel rooms. So you can flip ho hotel rooms and. Okay. Explain that to me. What, what do you mean? <laughs> so, okay. Let's say national guard in the state of Washington, they have a need for single and double bed hotels within a five mile radius of XYZ. And they're going to, to house a national guard right. uh, service people that might be in for training or whatever the case might be. They don't have any housing on base for them. Right. And so what you can do as a contractor, you 
call the Holiday Inn or whichever hotel, you find out the rates, you form a relationship with them, you add your profit, and now you can submit your proposal for hotel rooms. So when it comes to something like that, hotel rooms, which is typically multiple year contracts, they may put out the opportunity um, and give you anywhere from 20 to 30 days to respond. And then you're awarded immediately. For, for larger contracts, Kizzy, uh, we're talking more like six months to a year sometimes, or again, does it vary widely? A year. We won okay. a, we're part of a contract vehicle uh, called 8A Stars 3, and that took a year. And then our GSA schedule took, uh, it took about four years, <laughs> three, okay. four years okay. to do that. So yeah, that's that to me as a small business owner is perhaps the most challenging part. So we'll start to wrap it up here, but how do you advise people as to how to get started in this arena? When people approach me about getting started in government contracting, I always ask them, you know, what is your goal? Is your goal to offer the product or service that you currently offer or you want to offer and you just want to focus there? Or is your desire to just be more of an entrepreneur? And I assist them with both. So for instance, if you're wanting to get started, go to sam.gov, sam, like uncle sam.gov, go to the section under contracting on the left side of the screen, and you can start just playing around in there and, and reviewing the type of contracts that exist because many are under the false impression that there's some glorious billion dollar contract that's <laughs> going to give them a mansion. And it's important to understand what are these contracts want? What do they require? What are they, what are they asking for? Like, for instance, I saw one for human cadaver training and human cadavers to go along with it. So, I mean, cadaver, excuse me, um, cadaver training. And so, hey, if if that's something you're interested in, because you're like, I have a connection and I can put a profit on it, then by all means. But if you want to focus in on one particular area, just be aware of how they're asking for it. Because just because you've provided leadership training or you've provided IT services, that, that doesn't necessarily translate one-to-one with the federal government. So that's very important. Yeah. Check out sam.gov and also think about, do you, are your bills paid? If you can pay your bills or you can supplement paying your bills with savings or you know maybe driving for a company or delivering food, by all means, because this is not the business where you're going to get in today and start receiving receivables tomorrow. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. that. That makes a lot of sense. And I love how you break it up. It's either I'm I already have a business where I deliver a certain service. I'm going to look for contracts where I can leverage that. But again, to your point, I'm going to continue to operate that business because that's going to pay the bills and make me money until I finally do if and when I land that contract. Or as you call it, more entrepreneurial, where I'm going to see what's out there and see where I might not be able to marshal resources and and submit a proposal to, to serve a particular contract, where I may not have ever done that before, but I've got the connections, the experience, the whatever it might be that I'm going to put together to make a bid. Either way, though, 
I got to pay the bills while and, and until I actually land the contract. Did I get that right? That is correct. You is a hundred percent correct. Um, okay. The, the other thing that I highlighted is for me, that's got to be one of the other common mistakes you're highlighting is that people think that these contracts are just awarded willy nilly. And all you got to do is, sum, is submit it as a proposal, right? And then you'll just, you'll just get it by default because they're, they're just, there's no process. And that's a big mistake, it sounds like to me. And adding to that, that because you're a woman or because you're a minority or because you're you know, Native American or a tribal organization, they're just going to start giving you contracts. It doesn't work like that either. There are set asides. There are rules where an Alaskan Native can receive a set aside for a certain amount of money. A-Days can receive set asides for a certain amount of money and things like that. But it doesn't mean I wake up in the morning and there's a bag of cash that says, you know, from uncle Sam on my bed, it just doesn't <laughs> work like that. So, yeah, you know, there's, that's a, a huge one that's out there. Yeah. Big misconception. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So summarize for us and it's through GovCon winners that you are, are helping others to do this, right? That's the, yes. the, the group, the organization, the company, whatever. So, so walk through me at a very high level, what is your offering there? How do you provide that service to your clients? So GovCon winners, the offering currently is a, um, about a seven to eight week class that will roll out as well as I offer one-on-one services. So right now I have a one-on-one client where I help him with anything and everything to help them get prime contracts. And they're about a $30 million a year business. For those who are not, (laughs) I offer this training to help you learn how to find, bid, and win federal contracts. So there are eight modules where I cover everything that's needed. I cover everything that I actually do. I still bid on contracts for KPC. And therefore, once you finish the course, you're going to be able to go out there and win a contract because that's so vital is understanding what it takes to win, understanding what it takes to win profitable contracts because there are tons of what's called lowest cost, technically acceptable opportunities out there, but why be in business if you're not making any money? Um, So the course will be held on um, like through Kajabi. There's more information at govconwinners.com and there's more to come too. I'm going to expand that to GovConU powered by GovConWinners. That's going to all happen after the end of the fiscal year, the federal government fiscal year, that is. And so the the course now is it's an online self-paced like video and tools type of thing. This will be live. You're going to get me. So the seven to eight weeks is so it starts at a certain point and then it's live with you. Correct. Okay. Yes. You get, get all of me. I've had beta clients. And so initially it'll be live and then it'll move to self-paced. And so they can go to the website to find out when the next one starts. Correct. Okay. Wonderful. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. All right. We'll start to wrap it up. I'm always interested in book recommendations. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yes. There is an amazing author by the name of David Goggins. Uh, he has a book, Can't Hurt Me. It's it's phenomenal book about perseverance and just, oh my goodness, the power of the mind and our body. 
it's just such an inspirational book. You know, we think sometimes, wow, our day is horrible or we're going through so much and you read his book and you realize, wow, my life is nothing like that. It's not that bad <laughs> after all. So if you decide to pick up a copy, which I encourage everyone to do, definitely get the audible version because mm. it's set up more like a podcast. So you hear the, the, the book is narrated and then the narrator interviews David. And so you get additional information in between the chapters. Yeah, that's a unique format. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for that recommendation. Let's uh, wrap it up. Kizzy, what, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had about government contracts? The, the biggest thing to take away is it's an overlooked market. And if you're interested in pursuing something new, you should pursue, you should do it. You should definitely do it. It's fun. It's rewarding. It's just it's so amazing, just the diversity of efforts you can be a part of. Like we help food inspectors, we help the FDA, we help military members. You know, it's just, it just, just makes you feel good. So if you're interested in, in a market where you feel really good at the end of the day, try out government contracting. Love that. Love that. And where do you want us to go again to learn more? Please go to uh, govconwinners.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Kizzy Parks please feel free to DM me and mention listening to this episode and definitely connect on, on both of those platforms. Kizzy, uh, great conversation. Thanks for sharing and thanks for being with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Henry. This is such a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely. Pleasure to have had you on. Um, thanks for sharing. This is Henry Lopez and thanks for joining me on this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was Kizzy Parks. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.